Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Can you bow down your head and talk to God? That as we go into God's word, that the Lord will speak to you and the Lord will speak through me in the name of Jesus. Let's ask that the Spirit of God will take over this atmosphere. That which he once said will be said. That which he wants you to hear and listen to, you will listen to it. And his grace will cause us all to grow together in grace and in the knowledge of him to the praise and glory of his name. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. We are going to have to do this together. I want us to be together. So help your neighbor in any way that you he or she needs help at any point in the service. Amen. Last week, we started the series uh, that is based on the theme for this month. The theme for this month is ever-increasing greatness and comfort. You can look to your neighbor and remind him or say ever-increasing greatness and comfort. And today we just want to look at what I've titled the neglected way to greatness. The neglected way to greatness. But before we go into that, of course, um, just as the inspirational corner pointed out, we were just talking about Queen Elizabeth um, who passed away this week. But this last week, there are two major headlines, if you will. One was the fact that we got a new prime minister, isn't it? And the other was the fact that we lost the coin. Um, but something interesting actually happened uh, when it was announced that um, Liz Truss is the new prime minister. It happened on Twitter. There is a lady by the name of Liz Truss, exactly the same name on Twitter. Um, and her own Twitter handle is actually at Liz Truss. And so very many people that were congratulating the new prime minister on Twitter were actually congratulating the wrong person because they were tagging her and she was responding to their <laughs> she was responding to their tweets with very friendly kind of responses. Um, and she was enjoying herself. Uh, but some of the tweets that came up as a result of that that caught my attention was some people began to actually you could say, fall in love with her much more than our, our new prime minister. And they suggested at some point that, do you know, if you get to the Bamoral before the distress gets there and you present your ID card, perhaps you could even be crowned, as it were, or declared as our prime minister by the queen before the original prime minister gets there. But it just so happened that on the day that I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and laughing at this conversation. I also came across another tweet, a tweet by one Daniel, I suppose, when he said, the truth be told, there is no shortcut 
to greatness. Whether or not you are mistakenly tagged in a tweet that is not meant for you, you can't just overnight become a prime minister because <laughs> someone mistakenly called you that. There is no shortcut whatsoever to greatness. And that is at the core of what I want us to reflect on together in the next few minutes. Yes, uh, last week, Pastor started this, Pastor David started this series. By the way, Pastor sends his greetings. He told us last week that he will be in Manchester today uh, for their anniversary there, and also to receive the mobile VG team that had come from Nigeria. Next weekend, by God's grace, they will be here in Liverpool. We have a video here on Friday to that effect in this same building, uh, starting by nine. Let's try on the air um, as soon as possible. We're going to be as quiet as possible. This is a residential area, so we don't want to uh, disturb people. But that would mean that it would be good if we can uh, turn up on time. That's just by the way. But last week, we started this series, and Pastor was sharing um, with us on the subject of favor as a secret to greatness. And he began to consider it from two perspectives, favor with God and favor with man. We looked at favor with God extensively, and I know he has some interesting thoughts to still share with us on the second part, which we hope would still be able to be shared before the end of this month. Um, today, we are still following that same thing because, I mean, favor with God, favor with man, the case study that we are looking at primarily is Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And so we are still on that subject and character of Jesus. You cannot possibly understand or experience true goodness without meeting, without experiencing, without encountering the personality of Jesus. Because for us as Christians, as believers in all things, who should be our primary example? Say it like a minute. Who should be our primary example? Jesus. Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 22, this is the kind of life you've been invited to, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you'd know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong and not once did he say anything amiss. That's First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 22 from the Message Bible. And so from the two passages that Apostle Paul read to us, or Brother Paul, <laughs> Um, from Philippians chapter 2 and from Matthew chapter 3, you would see that at the core of those stories or those passages rather is again this character of Jesus. The Philippians passage, the message is almost clear. It's a passage that some of us perhaps have memorized. We know that we should let this mind be in us which was in Christ Jesus. He did not think of equality with God as something to grasp. He made himself of no reputation. He died the death on the cross. And therefore, God gave him a name that is above every other name. The message is pretty much self-explanatory. And so I would choose to dwell on the passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, because there is... What was going on in Philippians chapter 2 that we saw um, is also going on in that passage, but in a hidden way. And that is why I want us to kind of unpack that for some few minutes. 
And to give a brief, a brief context into what we are reading in Matthew chapter 3, the story of Jesus being baptized, we know that since Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, in your Bible, you just finish Malachi chapter 4 and turn a page and you're in Matthew chapter 1. The Bible scholars will tell us that between those two chapters of your Bible, there were 400 years. And in those 400 years, there were no prophets. Imagine that there was once upon a time in the history of God's people or his relationship with his people, that for four centuries, there were no major or minor prophets saying, thus says the Lord. Um, it's just like, almost like God became quiet for that long as it were in his dealings with humanity. And all of a sudden, a man appears on the scene in Matthew chapter three, by the name of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, as Luke will fill in that gap for us. And he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was preaching this message, and interestingly, people were coming to him as they would to a prophet, and he was putting them inside the water, bringing them out as a symbol to say, now you are cleansed, change your ways, and begin to live this new life in anticipation of the Messiah that has been promised all along from all the books that they had that they were reading at the time. Um, as the Tanakh, uh, the Old Testament, we call it today. And so when you come into that scene that we're reading in Matthew chapter 3, and you see Jesus walking down the queue to also become baptized, and John spots him, and John recognizes him and says, ah, well, what are you doing here? If there's anybody that should be baptizing someone, you should be baptizing me. I should not be baptizing you. And of course, that makes every sense. Jesus is not a sinner. He was not a sinner. He, he never sinned. Second Corinthians 5.21, he that knew no sin became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. In other words, if there is anyone that does not need to be baptized, indeed, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. But I want us to read that passage one more time and then pick away a few points from there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. It's quite a distance from Galilee to Jordan, but it was an intentional choice. Jesus intentionally did this. I remember we said before, he's our perfect example. That's what i saying. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to me, to him, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Verse 16 says, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and the old heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Two things that I want us to note from that passage is the fact that Jesus, first and foremost, did not exempt himself from this experience. Again, as I was saying before, he did not have to. So why did he do it? And in considering why he did it and the things that happened when he did it, that will be the crux of what I want us to camp around as we discuss together. 
we like exemptions, especially when it is an exemption from struggle. Who doesn't like to be exempted? If you were given double promotion when you were in your family school, raise your hand. Uh, none of you were that bright. Ah, well done. <laughs> but the point is to be given double promotion to skip a class, to move to another class, implies implicitly that there is a gap in your experiential knowledge. Whatever was meant to happen in primary three, when you join from year two to year four, you will never experience it. And as such, even though it looks like something good, something nice, you are also receiving a deficit. If you want to be great, there is no shortcut. There are just some things that we need to pass through for the sake of fulfilling moral righteousness on the one hand, but because even in going through them, there is something that is happening as a result of that experience that will equip you for where you're going. Exempted from due process, we only give you gaps and cracks, which only experiential knowledge will fill. You can have theoretical knowledge, but there is nothing as tangibly important and useful as experiential knowledge. The second thing I want us to notice, and this is where we're going to spend our time, is that by going through this process, the baptism of Jesus actually becomes an allegory. An allegory is a case study that you can unpack for hidden meanings in the manner of speaking, like an analogy, like a, an illustration of some sort. It becomes an allegory from which we can decode secrets of greatness which we tend to easily miss. And so you can think of them in this sermon, the next few minutes that I have as bus stops on your path to greatness, especially on this seemingly um, neglected path or way to greatness. And we're going to look at five of those bus stops, and that would be um, what we would spend the next few minutes doing. The first one is what I call the bus stop of introduction. The bus stop of introduction. Tell your neighbor, introduction. By Jesus' act of baptism, first and foremost, this is what introduced them in a sense to the public. This is what launched, if you will, his ministry. We read about him in Matthew 1 when he was being born, in Matthew 2 when, he was, when there was attempts to take his life by, by Herod that just pronounced that all the people that were born two years and under let them be killed, but by God's providence he escaped that. We read of how that he went with his parents to Jerusalem when he was 12 years old, and they forgot him by some curious circumstances that I can't just imagine. But they forgot him in, in, in Jerusalem, not for one day. He was there for three days, but they found him in the temple, reasoning with the teachers of the law. Um, and then we don't know anything again about Jesus from age 12 until what we see here um, in Matthew chapter 3. And that's the introduction to what is going to spend the next three and a half years of his ministry Doing. What I want us to notice here is not just in the introduction in and of itself, but the fact that he chose intentionally to start right. He chose in intentionally to start right. And the key virtues that you see here, which of course you would also find in the Philippians passage, is the virtues of surrender and the virtue of submission. He chose intentionally to surrender and to submit to due process 
to start right because the way we start anything in life has the tendency of influencing the rest of the journey. There are some people that they've begun their career life with a little lie about their age, and that stays with them for the rest of their career life. And so every time they are celebrating their birthday, it's either they are lying on social media or they don't want to even celebrate at all, so that those that know their age <laughs> will not come and cool that. I can't remember which footballer was playing for an under-19 in a particular African country and also as a seven-year-old boy. And so people were saying, did you give that to that seven-year-old boy when you were 12? <laughs> but yes, that's an age issue that would continue to stay with him uh, for the rest of his life. If there is falsehood in our introduction, in how we start, whatever it is, your new level, your new promotion, your new job, your new marriage, if there is falsehood in how you start, it has every potential of contaminating the rest of your experience in that regard. And so by way of application, tell your neighbor, start right. Uh, you, you are preaching to that person. So say it like you mean it. Say it like you're the pastor with the mic. Say, start right. And I don't know who that is for. Start your day right. Begin it with God. Start your new seasons right. Your birthdays. Before you go around and post on social media, begin that season intentionally with wanting to hear from God about your new season. Start the new level that God is taking you to. And I believe he's taking us as a church to new level. Last month, he said it's a season of promotions. And we're saying that. So start it right. Start it Right, intentionally ask yourself in my current season, what do I need to surrender to do, and what do I need to submit? And those are two virtues that we see Jesus intentionally put into his starting right, the bus stop of introduction. And also, of course, for those of us that have people coming behind us, we also want to teach them this. Perhaps there are areas of your life that you did not start right and you cannot undo. That's possible. But at least ensure that you don't pass that on to your kids and to those that are looking up to you. The first stop of introduction. Tell them start right. I'm moving to the second first stop, and that's the first stop of immersion. 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 When we speak about baptism, and those of us that were here when we did the series on the church tenets, we did a study on that um, because that's one of the two ordinances that our church will believe that the Lord has given to us from the word, uh, the, the, the mandate to baptize believers, and then, of course, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You remember why we, as a church, believe in baptism by immersion. That was one of the things we talked about then. Because even the word baptize or baptism or baptisto in the Greek has to do with immersing something, dipping it in completely into something else. To be baptized is to be immersed. To be immersed is to be submerged, is to be plunged, to be soaked, to be drenched, to be saturated, to be buried, to lose yourself, as it were, into something else. And before you can go up, before you can become great in life, you have to go down. Before you can ascend, as it were, you have to first and foremost descend. 
Jesus, before he would go up on the cross, I remember he said about that, that if I be lifted up, I will do what? I'll draw all men to myself. But before he did that, he bent down and washed the feet of his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And so by way of application again for this, to be immersed in that sense could mean to die to die to self, to selfishness, to die to your selfish ambitions, to die to those things that you know to yourself that is the flesh that is fueling this desire, fueling this, this pursuit or whatever it may be, and to lose yourself in Jesus. Immerse yourself first and foremost in your Savior. Secondly, you have to find your nature. You want to know the area in which you've been called to be a salt and light. You want to know the area of life where you are called to make a difference. And when you find it, to leave no stone unturned in that particular sphere of influence. I still remember the struggle that went on in my, in my house, especially amongst my older siblings. When I first told them, I feel persuaded that I want to spend the rest of my life in pastoral ministry. And of course, I mean, this was me in Nigeria and knowing the church and the practices of the church and what it looks like to be a pastor in the church and how unlucrative that is and how the timing seemed wrong, having just graduated and gotten job offers and all of that and saying no to all of that, to say yes to this. It sounded like the, the wrong, the wrongest thing to do at the time. Um, but of course, if there is anything I made up my mind to do, of course, one, one, and God himself ministered to do, and everybody eventually came together to say, we release you to pursue this. But on the other hand, there was that aspect of me then choosing to say, I will leave no stone unturned to learn whatever there is to learn, to serve in whatever ways service looks like in this ministry, to become all that God wants for me to become and indeed that desire that that passion that joy that comes with it has continued to be the motivating factor till day i could remember when i first got to serve under the pastor I was serving under before i came to the uk um we were two that i met someone else that was serving under him as well and if there's anything we know about many of our pastors back home they 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 train you the hard way. Amen. <laughs> they give you the trainings that you need to be able to withstand the pressures of life. And one morning like that, we just discovered that the second person stopped coming. He just disappeared. Initially, we were even worried if something was going on at home. He just stopped coming, switched off the phone. And eventually, we got to know that he said he's not doing again. Because he felt like, I can't continue like this. It was in that same context, by the grace of God, that I said, whatever it's going to cost, I'm going to stick with it. And I've not regretted that decision to date. Amen. Find your niche. Leave no stone unturned. And don't subscribe to exemptions. There will always be choices. There will always be opportunities to opt out. There will always be people calling here and there, offers staring you in the face that you know that to say yes to that offer is to head in a direction that will take you up the trajectory that God has set out for you. You want to be intentional about not subscribing to exemptions, even exemptions that sounds like answered prayers 
but which you know that they are requirements and prerequisites for the greatness that God has in store for you. The third bus stop is identification, the bus stop of identification. What do I mean by that? By Jesus' baptism, he was identifying with you and I. He wasn't a sinner. He did not need to be baptized. But he was identifying with the fact that there would be a Joseph or not that would come almost 2,000 years after he has gone that would need redemption because he would be born dead. He would be born as a sinner. He would be born with a price that he could not possibly pay. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even before I came on the scene, my Savior identified with me. He identified with me. You can hardly do a blessing in the fullest and truest sense of that word without identifying with the person you want to be a blessing to. You can give, you can be benevolent, you can be, what's the word, be a philanthropist that actually doesn't care about the person that you are philanthropizing towards. But um, in the real sense of being a blessing, if you want to bless someone, it starts from being able to identify with their condition, identify with their situation and recognize such opportunities when God brings people your way that he wants you to be empathetic towards. People that God wants you to imagine yourself in their shoes. People that God wants you to, maybe by the kind of experiences and sufferings that he has permitted in your life, he wants you to be able to say, I can relate with that. I can, I can relate with that. And because I can relate with that, I can share and respond and treat that person kindly. While everybody's condemning that person, I can relate that I know that it could have been me. And so I, I can speak with grace whenever that person is speaking condemnation or whatever that may look like, because we need to remember our own story, our own testimony, and know that we we'll do that, we know what that feels like, and so we can be there for someone else. That's what stop as we are bringing this to a close is the first stop of illustration. Illustration in the sense that Jesus was baptized amongst other reasons because he wants it to be an example for you and I. He wants you to remember, he wants you to know that what he's asking you to do when he was given the disciples the commission, go into the world and which the gospel, baptizing believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When he was saying that, he's not telling them to do what he hasn't done. Because he himself has given an example for how it should be done, for why it should be done. And his life and experience in Matthew 3 that we read is an illustration. And so he was setting an example for us. Not just an example in the sense that it's important to be baptized by immersion, but also an example in terms of the attitude that we need for life, the attitude of submission, the attitude of surrender. And in the same vein, your life and my life is always like that, always like a picture, always like an illustration, always like an example for someone or someone else. Again, by way of application, one of my favorite scriptures is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and verse 4 says in the message translation, Jesus comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is also going through hard times so that we can be good for that person just as God has done for us. In the KJV, it says so that by the comforts you have been comforted, you can comfort another person. 
And I love that imagery because that's that's church, that's family, that's what we are supposed to be doing. That's that's the Christian life. That you know that you're not perfect, you're a work in progress, but in your progress, at least you have gone through some things. And now you are seeing someone in the streets that you have passed. The same way you were confused when you were on that street, that person is being confused right now. Could you be the one that will point that person in the right direction to say, when I was as confused as you are, this is what I did. This is the direction in which I went. This is how I navigated it. One of the books I wrote um, when I started uh, self-publishing was titled Horn Addicted. And I wrote that book simply because I on my own personal salvation journey experience. I've known what it feels like to wallow in the self-pity and condemnation that comes with being helpless about the negative addiction that you're trying to break. It can be, it can make you feel like you're not a Christian. If you want to give your life to Christ again and again and again and again, even though salvation is meant to be once and for all. But why? Because there is a voice of condemnation that keeps coming. And I know how disheartening that can be, how it can separate you from God and be able to continue. And so out of that experience of being able to you say, I've been there, done that. This is how I work through that. But whoever might be interested in journeying through the same, that's our life. That's, that's how we're supposed to to leave. And so you want to ask yourself, in what area of your life have you sensed the presence, the comfort, and the help of Jesus like never before? Take a moment and think about that right now. In what area? Is it in your marriage? Is it in, in terms of childbearing? Is it in terms of getting a job? Is it in terms of getting accommodation? Whatever that could look like. There is someone right now, perhaps sitting around you, that is joining through that face right now. Could you be the one that would be able to then extend or pass on the comfort that you have received? Who in your world right now is going through a similar struggle and will you be willing to pass on the comfort that you have received? If you go through these four bus stops of introduction, of, of illustration, of um, immersion, and one more, identification, God bless you, shows you're following. You land in the fifth bus stop of exaltation. Let's read again those last two verses in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Say access. Say access. The heavens were opened to him. And the Spirit, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, say, authority. And verse 17, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, say, approval. Those are the three things that came as it were in one package for Jesus in going through that through process from which he could have been exempted because he did not even need to go through it, but he went through it and gave us an example to follow, a life message to unpack. That when we go through life like this, on our path to greatness, and there is no greatness outside of Jesus, this is the greatness we're talking about. Greatness is having divine access. Knowing that the heavens over you are perpetually opened, knowing that you can go boldly before the throne of grace, Hebrews 4 16, and obtain mercy when you need mercy, find grace when you need grace for that particular time of need. That confidence that I may never have Queen Elizabeth's number, and thank God she's oh, not thank God she's dead, she's gone. 
but I will never have King Charles' number, but I have the number of the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the number is not digits. The number is an alphabet. His name is Jesus. In him, we have access to the Father. And secondly, we have authority. 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 Power. Psalm 2 verse 8 in the Passion Translation says, Your domain will extend to the ends of the earth. How beautiful. That my territory is wider than the British dynasty. My territory, by the reason of the family that I'm a part of, it extends to the ends of the earth. On my knees in the corner of my room, I can control what's going on in Pakistan. Why? Because of this authority, which many of us underutilize, myself inclusive. We are that royal. You know, when we were wrapping up the, the growth track session and we said, not all of us will be kings, not all of us will be queens. That's true. But again, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a chosen, a holy nation, called to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Second Corinthians 5.20 calls us ambassadors of Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are his diplomats. And lastly, divine approval. In the sense that sooner or later, those that were questioning the seemingly foolish decision you are making now in Christ would see for themselves that, oh, wow, if indeed we knew. I mean, while I know that I've not even begun my journey, if I knew in 2012 that in 10 years from that moment, I will be somewhere in Liverpool in the UK preaching to this beautiful congregation. I think I'll be motivated to say yes quickly. But here I am. And it's not because I could see this then. It's all because you take it one day at a time, one process after the other. I did not, by God's grace, come to the UK because I want to jackpa, as some people would say. I came here simply because God opened the door when it was his time because it needed me here. If you need me elsewhere, here I am, send me. Amen. And that must be our mindset, because wherever you are, your loyalty does not diminish. Your authority doesn't change. Your divine approval remains the same. You are always God's child. You are always able to command nations. You are always, always able to have access your father Isaiah chapter 40 verse 5 says and the glory of the Lord will be revealed upon you and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it so in conclusion it's just to remind us that greatness is possible ever increasing greatness is possible but it comes at a cost it comes with a price and if you won't go for shortcuts, but actually choose to go through the due process of starting right, of going all in, of showing empathy, of passing on the help that you've received, of letting God himself lift you, you discover that you are serving your way into greatness. I like the African proverb that says the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. But the second best time is now. That means you can start now. Perhaps you have not started right. That's okay. This is September. You didn't start January well. That's fine. But now, the second best time to start right is now. The second best time to make those choices that you need to make to become the great one 
that is representative of the greatness of our God in the fullness of the colors of what that could look like is to start now. And I pray the Lord will bless his word in our hearts in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you because you are the one with whom we have to do, the one that has blessed us with access in Christ, the one that has blessed us with authority and power in Jesus, the one that has blessed us with approval, for we are accepted in the beloved. And we are asking, oh God, that you help us in our everyday walking out of this journey, in how we live out this life, in how we do what you want us to do, be who you want us to be, represent you the way you want us to, identify the people you want us to be a blessing to, and be a blessing to them, be who you want us to. This is our desire, especially in this season of ever-increasing greatness. I declare over our lives by the calling of God that the seed of greatness that is in us, the seed of greatness that we have received by virtue of knowing Jesus, saying yes to the price that he has paid and accepting his gift of redemption, that seed will grow and put fruit to the maximum of its potential in all our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' most precious name, we've prayed. Amen. Amen.